Hello everyone, welcome to the Hormone Helper Podcast. I'm Coach Andrew, your Hormone Helper from Fit For All Fitness. I personally coach over 1,600 men and women to help better understand their hormones so they can lose weight and get their metabolism back on track. With this podcast, you're going to hear from me and my special guests about everything from metabolism to thyroid to weight loss, and we even talk a little bit of sexy time as we chat to spread more knowledge thick like butter on your hormones. If you're ready to learn, I'm ready to share, so let's do this. Hey Fit For All crew, welcome back to the podcast today. Today's episode, we are actually not going to talk about hormones at all. I told you guys at the beginning of the podcast that listening in would be about all things health and wellness. Doesn't matter whether it's physical, mental, or emotional topics, there is so much more that goes into having a healthy lifestyle besides just balancing your hormones. In the eight-year span of my coaching so far, I've been a coach to people at all levels. I started first as a personal trainer and helped people work with their workouts and injuries first. Then I transitioned into providing nutritional support, making sure that people were making better food choices and improving their relationship with food. I'm now at a place where I'm helping people find the full solution to their physical problems by diving deeper into the hormones and how they function within their body. But through all of these changes in working with people, I have found that as I dive deeper and closer into the health problems of others, their problems become less about their physical body and instead more on their relationship and emotions that they carry around with them. Everyone has some level of baggage and no person is immune to hardship and struggle. I've worked with millionaires who have no family connections and feel lonely. I've worked with disabled elderly who are afraid that they're going to lose their ability to walk or function on their own. I've helped athletes who've developed insecurities and trauma due to the coaches they've worked with in the past. And many a mom and dad who felt guilt and resentment towards their children or partners because they couldn't spend time to focus on themselves. So I've seen a lot of unhappiness and frustration from clients who felt unappreciated, unsupported, and unloved, who felt that they had to do their life a certain way or follow a specific diet or routine just to get them to the place where they thought would make them happy. Unhappy people feel unhealthy because the toxic things, people, and relationships they bring into their life affect the way that they feel internally. I am no stranger to the way that this feels. And a part of the reason why I think I'm a good coach is because I have lived through these very issues that people around me struggle with. When I look at my own personal life, I can openly say that I know I've been blessed. I have a home to call my own, a beautiful wife who loves me, and probably more than she should. Uh, I have strength to do anything I want, and I'm confident in the way that I look and that I present myself. So I'm really not limited by my finances as well. My friends and family are great. I have support on all sides. But even having all of these things right now, there are still days where I feel that I'm not enough. And there's days where I feel like I need to show up as a better person for me and for the people around me. Many of you don't know this, but I share this with you because I think it's really important For a really long time in my life, I was very depressed. In my early 20s, I spent many days at home alone, never correcting, connecting, I should say, with the people around me, just going back and forth to work in construction, hating my job, struggling to make friends, and really to find a place where I could fit in and feel like I was where I was supposed to be in my life. Sure, I did a lot of fun things, but when I look back on that young Andrew, I realized that even when I did those things, something was always missing. I would feel lonely when I rock climbed because everyone in the club had people to go with and I just went alone. 
I felt frustrated doing things like boxing because I could never speak up enough to be a part of the inner circle of people who got the best coaching. There were jobs where I felt angry and unacknowledged at work when I worked 12 hours giving it my all only to be scolded when I made a small error on something that no one taught me that I chose to take initiative for. In those days, I was always searching for a way out, something else that I could physically drain my energy on, overwork myself on, push myself past and put my attention to all so I could dodge the challenges and real feelings that I had swirling around me constantly. Ironically, though, through all of that, I, I was in the best shape of my life. Physically, you couldn't pinch skin off my face, let alone the rest of my body. But how healthy was I really? I was exhausted all the time. I was complacent in my life. I let people walk all over me and I wanted to be somewhere else. What I'm getting at here is that being healthy doesn't mean being a low weight with your hormones completely under control. Being healthy is about living a life that doesn't give you restrictions in any shape or form. I truly believe that. And it took me a long time to work on the way that I cope with all the challenges in my life. And a mentor of mine likes to say, it's a five minutes to learn and a lifetime to master sort of thing. What I mean by that is you can't push past or through life, or you're going to regret things and miss all the important bits as to what makes your life a happy one. So in coaching all of these past people, I've seen that through all of their physical issues lies a really big mental and emotional issue, and that is their coping, or I should say their ability of lack of coping. They don't have good coping mechanisms. And some of those past clients that I've worked with never had a way to cope at all. They were never taught that in school. They just became the victim of their story and their circumstance, always slamming against the rocks as their emotions battered them for anything that pretty much related to them in life. Your physical self, and I'm going to say this very carefully, your physical self is directly connected to your emotional mental state. So if you're going to take a beating to your heart, you bet your ass it's going to go to your thighs, your stomach, and your arms next. And that's because your body's hormone output, it's attached to the very same output that your emotions come from. There are always going to be things in life that overwhelm and test who you are and cause stress. But if you have good coping mechanisms in your life, you are then able to control how much that stress actually affects your physical body. Currently, many people uh, have... I don't know, I guess what we will call them not so great coping mechanisms. You know, I'll go through a few common ones first. But before I do that, I want you to know that if you do this for coping right now, it's totally cool. The first step is to recognize what the coping mechanisms are. Then that gives you the power and the ability to change them to what will actually make you feel better long term. So the first one that I see in terms of a coping mechanism almost every single week is the mechanism of eating for comfort. So that comfort can be to reduce stress, make you feel safe, reduce guilt, and even to numb yourself out from a long work day. Food makes people feel good, and it does so by releasing your feel-good endorphin called dopamine. So when we eat and feel full, the body releases this to make us feel content, so the feeling of hunger stops. There are many people who don't even realize that they're using food to cope, and that's because food is often mixed with a lot of other good things that we do to make ourselves de-stressed. We use food for celebration of an event. We use food to mourn the loss of someone. We use food for a birthday, and for worse, we use food to chill out and watch a movie or to treat the kids. What this does is further ingrain into our mind that food makes us feel good. But it's not the food itself that makes us think that, but the act of eating itself. 
So just like a smoker is craving a cigarette, they don't actually have to smoke the cigarette to feel good. They just have to have the cigarette in their hands for the feeling of needing that cigarette to stop. All a coping mechanism is, is a way to feel good repeatedly so we don't have to be in a state of worry or panic. So food over time and the act of eating in general starts to become this compulsion where we don't even know what we're doing when we are eating. We just keep eating, even though we're not hungry or full anymore, until that feel-good fix comes. Another really common coping mechanism is social media or technology in general. For the very same reason of food, whenever you're scrolling on your phone, you see something that you like, you get a small hit of that feeling of feeling good for dopamine, which further reinforces your use of it. Social media specifically has been designed for this very reason, keeping your attention short in transitioning you to the next video or quick hit of dopamine. So that way you stay on their platform longer. The biggest challenge with this is as a coping mechanism, it steals a ton of your time. Burying your head in your phone or a Netflix for four hours in a row then leaves you feeling guilty or frustrated because you didn't get what you wanted accomplished or now the day is over and you didn't get to spend the time needed on you. This coping mechanism is a numbing one because while it makes you happy initially, it takes away that good feeling which has you revisit it for more. Even myself, having social media as a large part of my job, I've done everything in my power to limit the amount that I spend on their platforms because it largely makes me feel unhappy with my life. And that's true. Another issue with tech as a coping mechanism is your ability to compare yourself with absolutely everyone in this world, but only see their highest self. I've had many clients tell me that they wish that they had the life of a friend or got to experience a certain trip from someone who they know posted. This makes you base your current level of comfort based off of someone else's style of life. Comparison is the thief of joy. I think, uh, who was it? I think Roosevelt said something like that. It might be Roosevelt. Quote me on that, maybe. We'll see. Uh, a coping mechanism like this, it really just reinforces negativity, which keeps you replaying the same loop pattern that you so desperately want to break free from. A final one that I'll touch on is over-exercising. This, for a very long time, was my way of coping. I would push my body to the point of exhaustion, so I felt exhausted rather than feeling anything else. People who overtrain don't initially tend to use this as a way of coping, as doing activity actually does feel good initially. But what happens over time is people who train want to do more training so they can get that feel-good energy over and over again. It gets to a point where your activity and body growth stalls, you see no progress in your exercise or training, but you still feel compelled to do it. When activity is used as a coping mechanism, but your body doesn't have the energy to do it, you're going to ultimately resort to coffees during workouts, pre-workout multiple times a day, or just stimulants to get by. There are more than a hundred ways that people use coping in a negative way, but the idea behind all of these is that they do more damage long-term and that they don't address the real stressors that challenge and the challenges that you have going on in your life. Coping can really be categorized as really three different strategies. And if you can understand the category you use, I'll call it, it becomes really easy to find out what challenges or stressors that you're actually trying to take a backseat in your life. So it's not the act of replacing one coping mechanism for another. That's bullshit. But really dealing with what needs coping. You will find that when you look at these three buckets of coping strategies that I'll talk about, they really fall under a couple things. So they fall under what we call appraisal focused, adaptive behavior, 
and emotion focused. If you were to look at this appraisal first, this strategy really involves a person modifying the way that they think. For example, you can employ denial or you can distance yourself from the problem. So the, the idea is the per person or individually alters their perspective on the situation in order to have a more positive or safer outlook on the situation. Or people may alter the way they think about a problem by altering their goals and their values, such as by seeing the humor in a situation. As for adaptive behavior, this reserve refers to the psychological coping we call coping skills. So the term coping generally refers to constructive coping strategies, which reduce stress. But adaptive behavior is kind of the, the contrast to that. It might be a behavior that increases stress. This is because it's based on outcome, which means it's reactive coping. You're reacting in the moment, which ends up following the stressor. This is way different than actually trying to cope proactively or deal with the situation. So the effectiveness of coping really depends on the type of stress and the individual and that person's circumstances, what they're going through. So coping responses, they're controlled by personality. So people using problem-focused strategies, they try to deal with the cause of their problem. They try to do this by finding out information on the problem and learning new skills to manage the problem. They do things like always attempting to take control or always seeking more information. This might be you. If you're always trying to take control or seek information, this was me, so I can say this openly. This, it can really backfire, especially in the uncontrollable case that you can't make the problem go away. The final way to cope is emotional-based strategies. Emotional-focused coping is a type of stress management that really attempts to reduce the negative emotional response that comes with that stress. So negative emotions such as embarrassment, fear, anxiety, depression, excitement, and even frustration, they're reduced or removed by the individual with distraction. So maybe you're the kind of person that keeps yourself busy to take your mind off of the issue, or you're trying to find other things to do than actually deal with it. Emotional disclosure, this involves expressing strong emotions by talking or writing about the negative effects or doing things like eating and drinking more. So these are the main three categories of coping. I personally used to fall under appraisal in which I would deny what's happening or always try to shift my mindset into a negative state. Now that I'm aware of what I do, I do the reverse by thinking positive and by having deeper conversations with my friends and family. So that way I can really find out what's going on with my stress. So that way it doesn't build up anymore. I chose to talk about this because these stressors become so incredibly taxing on your hormones long term. Stress is the slow poison that seeps into everyone's lives, and we all pay the price for it, just not immediately. So let's talk about some positive coping strategies and lighten this vibe up. First thing I want to talk about is exercise. I know you're probably like you're literally contradicting yourself. No, exercise is hands down one of the best coping mechanisms. Just over exercise is not. So if you are not exercising right now, it's a really great way to implement into your routine. So in addition to you achieving and maintaining like a healthy weight or being able to sleep better or reduce your risk of developing, you know, health problems, cardio problems, it also improves your emotional well-being. 
aerobic exercise, jogging, brisk walking, cycling, training, has been shown to reduce symptoms of anxiety and depression. In fact, studies have shown regular exercise to be just as effective as taking an antidepressant medication for depression. So it also reduces stress, it boosts self-confidence, and it enhances your self-esteem. If you find a type of exercise you enjoy or you something that you can do with a partner, you're going to be much more likely to stick with it and you're going to feel good about it. So focusing on the exercise and the activity is going to be able to help you with all those things. Plus, it's going to be able to help with your stressors as well, too. The next one I want to talk about is really focusing on the positive relapses are often what's the best word for this i guess we'll call it triggered Re, well i should say reactivated but relapses are often triggered by negative thinking so one of the best ways to avoid a downward spiral or keep yourself in this negative loop all the time is to focus on the positive sometimes you may have to dig deep in to find the silver lining but there's always a positive there always i've never come across a situation that doesn't have some positive to it this doesn't mean that you should trivialize or minimize all of the negative crap going on with your life. No, acknowledge them and then look for the positive. So a few examples of this is, let's say that, you know, you're not happy with your job and you're finding that it's in a place where every single day you're feeling completely overwhelmed. Well, let's look at some positives. You're able to pay your bills fine. Your family's not worried because you have stress of income. That gives you opportunity. You probably have education. And now that you have worked at a workplace for a while, you'll also have something on a resume. So people will be able to hire you with a lot of a higher percentage and chance. So there's always a positive and always a silver lining that you can look for stuff. And I look for positives routinely, not because I live in a bunch of negatives, but because I'm choosing not to to look in a bunch of negatives. Best part about this is when you start searching for the positive stuff, you start naturally seeing more positive things automatically. Third one, practicing gratitude. The key here is to, I'm going to practice gratitude with quotations. I'm using quotations around this. Okay. You don't just want to say, oh, I'm grateful for things. That's not practicing gratitude. Okay. Practicing gratitude doesn't come naturally for most people. This means to consciously look for things, no matter how small, for which to be truly grateful. It might be uh, something as simple as you wake up and you made your bed and you're still standing on your feet. It might be a cool breeze on a hot day or running water, things we often take for granted. Some people find that keeping a daily gratitude journal is a great way to implement this with this coping mechanism. When you feel sad, angry, or down, read through your gratitude journal to boost your spirits and refocus your thoughts. Because when you start taking a look at the things that you should really be truly grateful for, you realize that your problems really aren't that challenging or significantly less challenging than what other people are going through. Now, I talked about keeping a journal. Journaling, right? There's a reason why therapists recommend journaling. The act of writing down your thoughts and feelings to their clients. Journaling is a great way to express your feelings. You can do it through feelings and you can do it through gratitude. And I encourage you to do it both positive and negative. And you can do it in a safe private space. Doing so on a regular basis is going to help you gain insight on yourself. I journal all the time. I journal at least three times a week in the morning. And when I do that, I practice gratitude as well expressing yourself on paper, it also helps ensure that you don't have negative feelings bottled up. 
because sometimes actually writing them down and even saying them out loud, like, have you ever written something like I found this once I had to write um, a, a few words for someone who had passed away. Um, and I wrote the words and I wasn't emotional when I wrote the words. And then I read the words and I almost died. I literally, I was choking up. It was so hard for me to function. It was, I, it was almost impossible for me to get the words out because when you put your true thoughts on paper, they do have emotions connected to them and journaling would be a great way to bring up those emotions. So that way you can help deal with them. Next one, meditation. Meditation is often associated with woo-woo stuff, religious things. It's not. You don't have to be religious to enjoy its, its benefits. It can be as simple as taking a few minutes to find a quiet place and sit in silence. Focusing on your breathing, nothing more than that. Real, real simple. When practiced regularly, meditation actually provides numerous mental and physical benefits because it induces a deep relaxation state which helps enhance your mindfulness and it also releases dopamine to help reduce stress as well too. Now, alongside that, the deep breathing. Sometimes we all just need to take a deep breath. There's a reason why they encourage athletes to breathe. They encourage pilots to breathe, people who have high stress jobs. So formally practicing deep breathing whenever you feel angry, upset, frustrated, stressed, or anxious is an excellent way to reduce those negative feelings and to calm yourself down. Practicing breathing from the diaphragm, so inhaling deeply and exhaling slowly, is really, really important. So the way that I like to say that is inhaling deeply, you want to fill up your stomach. So hand on the stomach, you start to inhale. And then as you continue to breathe in, you're going to allow your stomach to fully distend as far as it can before it gets tight. And then exhale, exhale through the nose and through the mouth. Nice, big, deep breath. So then that way you can get as much oxygen intake as you can. That's some good deep breathing right there. Talking it out. As humans, we are not meant to be socially isolated. So I encourage you to talk it out with other people. It's important to have someone, whether it's a trusted person who's a good listener or your mom, a friend, something that, that you can trust them which you can disclose distressing feelings and thoughts. So like me and my wife always share what is going on with our mind and what is what we are having challenges with because it is a great way to relieve stress. So talking about them is a good way to work through them. And this is one of the reasons why people go to therapy to talk it out, whatever it is that's troubling them. Now I will say this, when you're talking it out, it's not for the purpose of having that person tell you what the answer is. Just like it's not a therapist's job to tell you what's wrong or tell you what to do with your life. It is a soundboard, what we call an active soundboard. So when you talk to someone about problems, you are now releasing that emotion. You're having a little bit of acceptance and acknowledgement for that problem. And that allows you to be open to find a solution for yourself. So don't expect these people that you're doing as part of the talking out to like find your answer. That's your job. But talk talking it out, whatever it is, that will significantly help. So at the end of the day, it's, it's really on all of us to take care of ourselves, both physically and mentally. And my hope is that these coping mechanisms, they're going to be able to assist you and to be able to do just that. As a hormone coach, a lot of people think that I only focus on numbers for weight and what it says on blood work and someone's metabolism. 
But a lot of the time I'm helping clients work through personal challenges in their lives. So their stress is at a manageable level. So their hormones can actually be balanced and be stable. So all of this really relates to your hormonal health. And if you're someone who lives a high stress lifestyle, then you're going to have to take a look at some of the stressors or you can reach out to a coach like me so that way we can be able to support you. Thanks for listening in today. I want you to take care of yourselves and do something to de-stress yourself for this week. Take care and have a good one. Well, it seems I'm all out of info juice for today. That's all for this episode. And thank you so much for listening. Please leave a raving review for me if you've learned something good and make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Now, if you're in the mood for some more great content and tools to get your hormones on track, why not check out our free Facebook group and the blog on our site. We do amazing weekly trainings in our group that me and my wife call Tea and Teachings that give good tips for anything hormones and metabolism related. It's also a great community where you get to share your goals and success with like-minded people just like you. I'll make sure to drop both the Facebook group link and the blog link in the show notes for you. Um, Or if you're ambitious like me, the name of the group is Weight Loss and Balanced Hormones. Uh, It'll say Fit for All beside it with a picture of me. So come and join us and have more fun.